0: You're listening to The Healthy Sensitive. Hey everybody and welcome to The Healthy Sensitive, a podcast for those highly sensitive people and or introverts. We want to figure out how to live big and stay healthy at the same time. You want both of those things. You want to have your cake and have it be sugar-free and be delicious and, I don't know, this metaphor is probably not working. Anyway, <laughs> welcome. I'm Leah Burkhart, your hostess on the show, and today I want to talk about curiosity. It's not just to kill cats, I swear. So this is something that I spent some time, I don't know, studying, listening to. I was uh, at the Boston Conference, I know I've mentioned that, and this came up as one of the topics. And curiosity is something I've always been enamored with. It's the one thing I find to be, I think, the most disarming when I'm faced with a person who's curious. It's a quality that when I'm able to stay in that space... It can counteract all kinds of negative experiences, or even if it's not counteracting it, it can reframe it. So just by bringing curiosity into circumstances and situations, it can breathe some life into it and make things more interesting. And so it was really neat to be at a health conference and a gentleman stand up to a very fabulous speaker. Uh, His name is Todd Kashtan. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. At any rate, he wrote a book called Curious? Question mark? And it's all about the benefits of curiosity. Uh, I'll be bringing in a few other sort, well, just a couple other sources as well. But most of the podcast for today is about his book and some of the insights I took away from that, as well as his talk that he gave at the conference. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, anyway, so basically what we'll talk about, what does it mean to be curious? Uh, what are some of the benefits of curiosity? There are tangible benefits, it turns out. It's not just a fun thing that I like. Uh Is there a shadow side to curiosity and it turns out there is Uh, what is the relationship between curiosity and purpose as in a purpose in life Uh, why is having a sense of purpose even important so why would that link be significant for you and me how does curiosity relate to health and wellness Uh, how might curiosity relate to creativity and then finally you know (laughs) why do we hsp care about it why should we care about being curious (laughs) huh Just curious. <laughs> I cracked myself up. Anyway, what does it mean to be curious? So, to be curious means to be inquisitive. So, it's one of the uh, synonyms. Yes, synonyms that I say a thesaurus would give. Uh, it means being open to new ideas and experiences, eager to know and learn something. And here's a key part of it without judgment of whatever the answer is that you find. So it's the desire to seek information without attachment to whatever answer comes forth from that exploration. Uh, seeing the world through the eyes of what is called beginner's mind that comes up a lot in really any kind of behavior change program that you might have either been witness to or participated in or read about a beginner's mind is kind of a it's a buzzword or buzz phrase anyway process oriented that is curiosity is so it's not about the answer it's about the question so when someone is truly being curious yes they want the answer but the joy is in the examination the joy is in the venturing out to discover so yeah the joy is in the the adventure toward discovering that answer because if you know anything about curiosity once it's satisfied well the excitement kind of dwindles it's sort of like oh my God, I'm so hungry. And then you eat and it's like, oh, I feel much better. But then well, you're not hungry. So it's a very different experience. Anyway, so curiosity tends to be process oriented, not outcome oriented. So benefits of curiosity. I mentioned this earlier. Benefits include being able to disarm a person in a conversation. And again, it's curiosity. And I don't mean nosiness. We'll talk a little bit about that a little bit later. But so I'm thinking about an experience that I had when I'll actually I'll ju- I'll use juxtaposition I remember being a kid and my grandmother who frankly I mean she basically was a second mom to me I call her nana I was staying with her and for an amount of time it was a fairly long amount of time and she was about ready to take me to school and she was frustrated because I was lollygagging I think she had every right to be frustrated. She wanted to be on time for her. She had to go to something after I was done, after she was done taking me to school. So she's tapping her fingers and she's going on and on. And I'm frantic because, oh, that's right. The reason I was running late was because I couldn't find something. I was losing my marbles trying to find, I think it was, I don't know if it was a homework assignment. I don't know if it was a my favorite pencil. I don't know if it even matters. But at some point in the midst of the chaos, she just said, Oh my god, Leah, you just have to calm down. Which you can imagine how well that worked. If the outcome she was seeking was a calmer child. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it didn't didn't work at all. (laughs) I use that as an example because it's a very human example. She was she's an incredibly kind person well-intentioned, and she was extremely generous with her time to be giving so much of it to me. So I'm not trying to belittle her (laughs) in the midst of what was very real frustration and valid, but rather the opposite of that. If you really and truly wanted to get someone to calm down, curiosity can be a great way to do that because curiosity doesn't demand that the person in question be calm. That's the irony or maybe the counterintuitive quality of this stuff and I was dating a man who I lovingly called him Spock so you know how a lot of couples they would say like oh baby or oh love or oh yeah no my pet name for him was Spock all kinds of rational just with I don't know a bucket load more of compassion so delightful human being and I can remember I was in the midst of some kind of an emotional hurricane i don't remember the why of it i just remember the pain of it and he was just curious like well what's it feel like what's that like what triggered it and i can remember you know in the midst of it going like i don't know i just feel crazy i'm just so sorry and his response was well emotions aren't rational that's fine they're not supposed to be rational it's not really how emotions work And it was that calm sort of, it's fine. It's fine. Mixed with the curiosity. And I think the final, I remember, oh, I remember, I think part of the issue was that I wasn't sleeping well and it was late at night and I was lamenting, like, I I feel like there's something very seriously wrong with me. And he patted me on the back and I said, "I, I don't think I'll ever get to sleep. Like, what if I can't ever get to sleep? And what if I can't control this? I mean, why? Why can't I control this one thing? It should be so easy to just be able to go to sleep. And he looked at me for a second and he said, well, yeah, what if you can't? And for whatever reason, I think I stopped mid-cry and kind of looked looked at him because I wasn't sure if he was trying to be, you know, I didn't, if he was extremely fatigued and just trying to be a smartass or if he was really asking a question. And I looked at his face and it was very authentically curious. And he said, no, seriously, if it really is the case that you can't control this thing, what does that mean? I would think that meant you're also not responsible for it. Like if you can't control it, it probably isn't your fault, right? So what if you can't control it? What does that mean for you? And I don't know that I ever came up with an answer. But I immediately calmed down because I switched from being frustrated about a thing that I couldn't control into the realm of being curious. Like, whoa, yeah, what if I can't control this thing? What if that's not how sleep works? <laughs> Newsflash for any of those out there who are listening, if you thought sleep is something you could control, I have news for you. <laughs> no, you cannot. That's not really how it works. It's more of a surrender. But of course, I wasn't in a space to want to do that. Interestingly, curiosity is also a kind of surrender. You're surrendering the part of you that needs to know everything or needs to project yourself as one who does, and instead embracing the uncertainty in life and the novelty of it. So, anyway, that's a major benefit of curiosity, or at least it was for me the ability to disarm. A person who might otherwise be feeling frantic also let's say that you're having a conversation with someone now this happens a lot with dating i don't know if you've had this experience before but you're sitting across the table from someone and they talk about themselves and they do it in the kindest way possible so they're not trying to be vain and be like look how awesome i am but they're just saying hey i went on this really cool trip and i got to travel to all these really cool places and i speak a couple of languages here let me show you it's the toddler in us that we're excited. We just met a new person and we want to share our lives with this bird. Like, I don't mean I've met a new person and I want to share my life with them. Like, I want to marry them right away. I mean, you know, like how, how a little kid is when they see someone new and they get all bubbly and they're like, Oh, new human. I can tell you my whole life story. <laughs> um, we don't really grow out of that. I don't think not. I mean, humans are just kids that they're in better costumes. And so most of the time, we end up bored. Not the person speaking, but the person listening. And most of the time, the person who's listening might be listening, who knows, but might also be thinking, oh, yeah, 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 but I can't wait until I get to talk. Versus. So imagine you have that experience, and then on the flip side, someone who's curious and who asks interesting questions. It's a very different experience. And it turns out that people who are curious when judged by another person having a conversation with them judge sounds terrible but maybe evaluated by or critique I don't know there's a word it's not coming to me I have to let it go but people who are curious are often pegged as more intelligent interesting fun to be around easier to connect to more energetic and it's because the kind of person who's curious well they're probably actually listening and paying attention. They're trying to get something out of you and they, unless they're doing it in a false way, like let's say, for example, someone who's isn't really that curious, but who just so happened to have listened to this podcast and they're just like, Oh cool. Curious people are more interesting. I'll use that in the next dating round that I do. No, it really, you have to actually be curious and then you have to actually listen and then follow it up with an in, increasingly interesting questions. So at any rate, in sum, curiosity can bring a sense of wonder to an otherwise seemingly uninteresting set of circumstances. All that being said, though, shadow side, there's a shadow side to everything, including curiosity. So the negative side of curiosity can can manifest uh, with nosiness, the needing to know what's going on in the neighborhood or what's going on with him or her or all that sort of thing and which can then morph further into things like gossip and it could be potentially linked with sensation seeking so i'm gonna pause here because i've talked a little bit about high sensation seekers and i found it very interesting that cod cod (laughs) tashton uh mentions sensation seeking in his book so Elaine Aaron talks a little bit about this trait as well, and her view of it was, their description of it was a little different. But I'll share his version. What I will say though is, it's entirely possible to have the trait HSP, as in you're a highly sensitive person. It's a set of like you can map it on the on a brain scan, you can see it. So it's not just oh I'm sensitive and I don't want to deal with life. It's like no, they're a legitimate traits that come with this particular genetic well trait. Um, you can also be a sensation seeker. So what's interesting is to be highly sensitive, there's a number of things that come with that, but one of the biggest markers is that highly sensitive people respond differently to dopamine. So they tend to be more risk averse. They are sensitive to punishment, sensitive to something going wrong. That's part of why they tend not to like loud crowds, loud concerts, lots of people. There's there's this risk aversion that's happening internally. Sensation seekers, however, are very sensitive to rewards. So they love novelty and thrive on it. They want to see interesting things, meet new people. And it's entirely possible for you to have both of these traits. And I think the way it was described is you have one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake. And you're teeter-tottering between the two at all times. So this is part of why I thought it was interesting he'd bring up high sensation seeking. There's a spectrum, like it with all things. So you can be a sensation seeker. Like, for example, I identify as one, and when I went through the questionnaire, I came up as being both IHSP, so a highly sensitive person, and a sensation seeker. Because I am sensitive to risk. I don't like it. Um, I thrive in circumstances that tend to be quieter. I prefer less stimulus. You know, all the things like the depth of processing, the ability to be over aroused, the emotional uh, sensitivity, both to positive and negative experiences, and the sensory sensitivity as well, identify with all of that. I also identify with a love of novelty. Uh, a love of you know new things, exciting things. I'm I am an extremely curious person. Just to be clear here, I'm not suggesting that because I'm curious that that means I'm intelligent, interesting, enthusiastic, fun to be around, and easier to connect to. Those were the traits I mentioned in the last section, little segment. Uh, I merely say that I identify as one who likes to ask a lot of questions, and there seems to be a link between a person who would be curious and a person who could potentially be a sensation seeker. Now on the milder side, because I would consider myself to be a very mild sensation seeker, people talk to me all the time about wanting to jump out of an airplane. And I think that's fascinating. I think it's super interesting. I see someone do it and I think, now there goes an adventurer. I am, well, i like, no, I I don't understand why a person would want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. I don't get it. So I am on the milder side of a sensation seeking spectrum. There are those who would be the opposite, not the opposite, but they're on the way other end of that spectrum. Maybe they want to jump out of airplanes. They seek novelty as well as the intensity of new experiences. I seek intense experiences in the form of intense music. So I went to a concert with a very close friend of mine to go see Florence and the Machine. I love Father John Misty. I find the music to be intense, but I wouldn't describe them as overly stimulating. Not because they aren't interesting, but they aren't, it doesn't attract a crowd of people who are going to get into a brawl or a mosh, like if you're at a heavy metal rock concert. I know that that's not my jam, because I went to a heavy metal rock concert and decided very quickly, oh no, I do not like it. Don't like it at all. Anyway, if you're a person who's a high sensation seeker and you're on the other end of the, you're sort of the far end of the spectrum, you might end up doing some things that are quite dangerous and potentially life-threatening. Uh, Oh, also, sensation seekers, just like HSPs, they tend to have trouble in romantic relationships. Well, with an HSP, they have trouble because they're so dang sensitive about everything. I mean, it's a little bit more nuanced than that, but that's the summary. Um, Sensation seekers get bored. They want novelty. And so they're sort of constantly trying to reinvigorate a relationship. So you can imagine why. It might be a little difficult to be in a relationship with me. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. So what's the relationship between curiosity and purpose? So, We've talked about curiosity and how it has a shadow side. There are benefits, there are pitfalls. What's the relationship, though, between curiosity and purpose? Well, people who are curious are more likely to be proactive about seeking out things that interest them, which often can lead to a sense of purpose. Uh, People who are curious tend to be open to new ideas and experiences. So I don't know if you know about the five traits, the five primary traits, or I don't know how they're called exactly, but it's introverted versus extroverted. That's number one. Openness to experience, neuroticism, conscientiousness, and agreeableness. So uh, people who are curious tend to score high on the openness to new experience. Uh, that can lead a person to easily identify their purpose because again, they're open curiosity can spur us to actions that make us second guess force fed purpose that others might've wanted us to have, but which might not in fact resonate with our sense of values. So as an example, let's say that you were born and raised in a religious family, insert whatever religion you'd like, and you were sort of indoctrinated into the tribe, if you will And at some point you realize, you know, this just doesn't quite fit. I don't think I like it. A curious person might be the type who would dig deeper. Well, if this doesn't resonate, what what does? Whereas a less curious person might just kind of swallow the pill and stay in the matrix, so to speak. Um, Curiosity also allows us to be able to tap into what our values are in the first place. So people that aren't that curious don't tend to even know what their values are. Because... Why would it occur to them to ask? I'm not suggesting that that's bad necessarily, but it's like, no, my life's pretty good. I don't necessarily need to know my deepest, darkest secrets and values. And you know, I I get up, I go to work, I enjoy my life. I enjoy my people. Why do I need to keep digging? (laughs) Like, leave me alone. Why is having a sense of purpose important? Like, why would I bring that up in a podcast about curiosity and why would I bring up either one of those in a podcast for highly sensitive people? Well, in order to make any change in life, and I'm going to include changes like, oh, wanting to lose weight, wanting to build a business, uh, wanting to finish a degree, even if you're working full time, like, you know, big ticket items, things you want to get done. If you want to make these kinds of big changes in life, you need three things. You need to know what, as in what to do. Like if you need to lose weight, it's pretty simple. Eat less, move more. Very difficult to execute, especially if you have to do it all the time. If you want to save a lot of money, spend less, make more. (laughs) It's simple, but it's very challenging. So in order to execute that and not feel like a crazy person, you've got to know your why. Why do you want to lose weight? Why do you want to save money? Why do you want to start a new business? How would your life be different if you did this thing? In what ways would your life improve? Who else around you would benefit from the change? It has to be a why that's compelling enough that it would even spur emotion. And if you don't have something that compelling, well, then it's just work. It's the same concept as if you're studying a topic in school that you're not actually that interested in. Well, it's kind of miserable. Versus if you're actually interested in the topic, you'll be curious enough to want to dig deeper and find out more. This is the reason why people who want to understand the material tend to do better than those who just want to get the A because they're actually interested in understanding the principles. Finally, you got to know how you're going to do it as in the skills. I know we've talked about some of this in previous podcasts and I can go through that in a second, but why is having a sense of purpose important? Because it answers that why question. You know, if you're trying to make a big change in your life, especially if it's in the realm of health and wellness, you got to know your why. What is it that's going to improve when you make that shift beyond just the amount of energy you have? Okay, great, you've got more energy. What do you want to do with it? You know, like make it something compelling. And if you don't have a why, you probably won't succeed. It's not impossible to, it's just really hard to sustain if it's not in alignment with your values, with your core self. So since I keep talking about health and wellness, how does curiosity relate to health and wellness? Well, first of all, a reduction in judgment about our current state. So that kind of cycles back to what I was talking about earlier when I was lamenting about my woes with regard to sleep to my very compassionate partner at the time who was sort of shrugging and saying, yeah, you're right, you can't control it. So what? What's not? Na- <laughs> now what? <laughs> so basically what he was inviting me to do in that moment was to stop judging myself for my inadequacies in the realm of sleep. Because if it really is true that I can't control it, it's also true that maybe I shouldn't be blaming myself for it. Maybe I should let go a little. So I can reduce judgment about your state. Uh, another, this is I think the biggest problem in the realm of health and wellness, just more broadly, it has a tendency to spur up what i call healthism so oh you got cancer well you must have been a smoker oh well then therefore you don't you're not allowed to be sad about it i mean what's that oh did you oh you have stress or or you have anxiety well you must just not meditate enough oh you have insomnia you must be drinking too much caffeine you know like there's this sense that whatever it is that ails you it must be your fault Curiosity detaches those two things, and it reinvigorates the, the the inner child in us who doesn't know, who doesn't have the answer, and who's willing to go and explore to find out. Getting curious about uncomfortable sensations, also on a biological, biochemical, both uh, level, <laughs> in that arena, you can see it shift uh, our. It basically, it reduces our pain. So meditation can be a kind of exploration with curiosity because of what, especially mindfulness meditation, which many people who suffer from chronic pain are invited to do. There's a lot of research on the benefit of meditation on things like chronic pain. What it shows, particularly for women, I think it helps men as well, but my understanding is women, I think, are more sensitive to chronic pain because they their bodies, oh no, this is it the relationship between emotions and pain is more acute with women. So when women are stressed, they feel more pain. Men also see this, but just to a lesser degree. And again, there's always outliers, but as a general rule, we find this kind of crop up. And then as soon as you give all of these folks meditation, everyone benefits, but women seem to benefit even more. Because it turns out that when we're stressed, we produce even more cytokines, which are the inflammatory markers associated with pain. And if you meditate and you relax and you get curious, okay, I'm in pain. But really though, what does that pain actually feel like? Is it a tingly pain? Is it a dull pain? Is it a sharp pain? And is it really pain or is it just a sensation? Is it heat or is it ice? What is the flavor of it? How would I describe it if I had to to someone who doesn't have any reference for the reference point for this? Getting curious about uncomfortable sensations can help reduce the intensity of that sensation. It's really interesting. Um, curiosity can make a path of creating healthy habits more interesting. So as an example, imagine if instead of saying to yourself, I must exercise an hour a day and I must eat all these vegetables and I must only eat 1200 calories and it's like, I must, I must, I must. Versus, huh, well, I know I probably should move more, but what's something that I actually like doing? Is there an exercise I would be willing to do all the time? Huh, well, a friend of mine goes to Zumba. Maybe I could try that or I don't know, yin yoga, or like if you're curious about your health and you go in to make these changes in your life, sort of like a scientist, sort of, I'm going to give this a try and let's just see what happens. It can make the whole thing a lot more fun. Okay, I tried this. Now what happened? Even with weight management, if you take the sting out of what that number means to you, it can just be, hey, I just, I'm just i just curious, like I ate a little bit less, I moved a little bit more, did anything change on the scale, yes or no? If no, maybe you change what you're doing, or maybe you don't. If yes, maybe you continue to do what you're doing, or maybe you don't. But it's that curiosity that can make the process feel a little bit more like play instead of work. Uh, it also reduces the risk for things, I know I've mentioned this already, things like orthorexia and healthism. So orthorexia, I don't think it's got a title yet in the DSM model, uh, diagnostic it's, uh, for, Oh God, I forget what DSM stands for. Oh, that's too bad. But basically it's the base, a big ass book, of a whole bunch of psychological uh, maladies and orthorexia is not in the DSM and, uh, hasn't worked its way there yet, but there are people in psychological circles who have coined this phrase for people who have an unhealthy preoccupation with healthy eating. So it's the person who chooses who says, well, if I can't have sustainably raised, organic, unprocessed local food, I'm just not going to eat at all. So it's a kind of orthorexia. You're, the preoccupation is getting to a place where it's now consuming you. And then healthism is... Kind of what I described earlier when I said, oh, do you have, you know, whatever kind of chronic condition? Oh, you have diabetes. You must have eaten too much sugar and that therefore it's your fault. Get over it. Stop doing that thing. Uh, it, it can lead us to a space where health can be another way we justify prejudice. Curiosity will lead us to try new things without judging the outcome. So this is part of why it reduces things like orthorexia and healthism because to be curious, you've got to be willing to let go of the outcome. If you're trying like hell to get an answer that you think should be, so it's like, let's imagine you're the scientist, you've got an experiment you've put together, you've developed a hypothesis, and if you're really attached to that hypothesis, that's not curiosity. Curiosity is open. So curiosity is very much in the realm of, you know, trying new things without judging the outcome. Curiosity can improve our relationships, which also has a direct impact on our health. I, you know, there's one gentleman I can think of in particular where if there was any emotional, especially if I was, um, I was going to say sad, but not sad, vulnerable, like a very intense vulnerable kind of sad he wanted to fix it and fix it pronto. Or he just wanted to get mad at it. He didn't know how to... Obviously, this was not my dear friend Spock. Um, very different creature. And he was well-intentioned. He didn't want to see me in pain. But he had a really tough time being curious and being open to whatever outcome there was. I don't mean that he wasn't a curious person. And he was certainly very intelligent and he was interested in a bunch of things. But the one thing he struggled with was letting go of an outcome and that was really hard on our relationship so if you can bring that sense of curiosity to a relationship it can improve it and what research shows time and time again with regard to relationships is if your relationships are good it's like you get deposits into your energy bank account and when your relationships are bad it's like you're constantly taking out withdrawals or rather they are and so it's really important to be very deliberate about the people you invite in your life and to be okay with letting those who are perhaps taking more of a withdrawal from you than you can replenish. <laughs> Maybe you let them go. So it's it helps improve the relationships that you have and it helps give you kind of a guidepost or a compass for what kind of relationships you want to continue to nourish and what kind of relationships you perhaps need to let go. All right. Curiosity and creativity. So I bring this woman up all the time. Can you tell I adore her? Um, so in Big Magic, part of the reason I bring that bring up this book a lot is because it's all about creativity. And highly sensitive people are nothing if not enamored with creativity. I've yet to meet an HSP who doesn't have creative thoughts, who isn't creative with regard, doesn't have some kind of creative hobby. Or, you know, there's I think it's just when you do a lot of deep processing, you you kind of have to be inherently creative because your brain's doing much, doing so much funky things, that you end up with some cool ideas, cool pieces of art, cool pieces of writing, etc. So, why bring up curiosity and creativity? Uh, So Elizabeth Gilbert tells her readers in the book Big Magic, not to worry so much about whatever they are passionate about because this is big, right? If you've ever listened to coaches or particularly motivational speakers, it's like, find your passion and hustle and go and get it done. And that's fine, I guess. Um, but what people who have sustainable practices in the realm of creativity, or, you know, even a business will often say is, you know, maybe it's kind of a tall order to always, especially in the realm of creativity, much less so when you're an entrepreneur. Um, But if you're a writer or a painter or whatever, and you're always waiting for passion to come into the mix, that's, as I said before, a tall order. Passion isn't something that we can control necessarily. So what she invites her readers to do instead is ask the question, what am I curious about? What's something that just tickles my intrigue? Her curiosity uh, started with gardening. She gives herself as an example. She started gardening and she got kind of curious about certain aspects of gardening and, and that led to the next thing, which led to the next thing. And before you know it, her, what started as just a mild curiosity led to her writing the book, The Signature of All Things. So she basically says, you know, don't put so much pressure on whatever thing it is you're trying to create. Instead, just ask what you're curious about. That's all. So curiosity can fuel creativity. And again, because the pressure is removed, you're not as attached to the outcome. Ironically, the outcome often can be that much greater. All right. So how might curiosity be related to growth? That seems like a big one. And in my how to be a highly sensitive superhero course, I talk about, um, you know, there's an acronym stronger. And some of the, I use that to list out all of the practices that are helpful and that we really need, we, HSP, need. And really quick summary, uh, it's S, spiritual practice, T, time to process and recharge, R, relationships, O, outlet, as in creative outlet, uh, N, nutrition, G, growth exercise, E, exercise, and R, again, rest. So... I talk about how important it is to have a growth exercise. Highly sensitive people, they can't necessarily engage in the world. They can, but they don't serve themselves well when they try and engage with the world as an extroverted, sensation-seeking go-getter. To give an example, I, I don't even know why these two people are coming up in my head, but try and imagine... Deepak Chopra deciding that he's going to be just like Tony Robbins or vice versa, or maybe even Susan Cain versus Tony Robbins. Susan Cain wrote quiet The power of introverts in a world that won't stop talking. Um, these two people can't be like the other. Tony Robbins is in a slightly more advantageous position because he is so extroverted and bless him. Like good for him. He's doing Tony Robbins fabulously well, but HSP really have no business trying to engage in the world as though they are a Tony Robbins who sleeps for four hours and who does 500 different things in a day. There's nothing wrong with that. He clearly thrives on that. HSPs kind of generally have to do it a little differently, but that doesn't mean that they get to just call their HSP get out of life free card. You know, there are some HSPs I've met who God, honest to God, they, they drive me crazy. And I love them because they're my people, (laughs) but it's like, oh, I'm sensitive. And so I can't do this or I can't do that. And, and I get it. And part of the reason they drive me crazy is because I'm probably, it's a mirror of my own self and et cetera, et cetera. I know all that, but even so, just because you have that you're challenged in an area doesn't mean, oh, well, never mind. You don't have to engage in the world. If you don't want to, like, so there are people out there who are highly sensitive and they have moved out into the woods somewhere, think Walden or Thoreau, and they are perfectly delighted. Thank you very much. They don't need to engage in the world any more than that. They're perfectly delighted to be out in nature. Great. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the people who on the one hand lament about how hard it is to live in today's world because oh it's so loud and there's so much stimulus and with the media and the social media and uh, blah, 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 blah. um so i'm really unhappy with all of that and i would like to make more money and i would like to have a more exciting life but you know i can't because i'm an hsp and that's just on the cards for me you know that defeatist mentality that's not helpful if you're hungering for if you're hungry if you want something in your life to change you you're doing yourself a disservice by not at least trying it's just that unfortunately highly sensitive people don't have a lot of great models for how to do that in a way that doesn't deplete all of their reserves of energy and health because most of the examples we see in the world are of people who are extremely extroverted potentially you know high on caffeine all day and that's just a mild version you know we only see the robust personality types who make it and who get championed hsps less so um so to answer the question how does a highly sensitive person seek growth and seek you know to increase their capacity without going absolutely bananas, Beth Bulow, in her book, The Capacity Zone, talks about the sweet spot of how to how to engage in this way. You know, she said, you know, think of it like a rubber band. You wouldn't want to take the rubber band fresh out of the bag and just pull it tight and fast, like it would snap. And that's how a lot of HSPs end up feeling. They try and pull as hard and as fast as their extroverted peers do. But what they don't understand is, HSPs have a rubber band that's a little tighter. It's a little thicker. You know, I mean, that can be a good thing, but it also means it's less flexible, at least initially, when it comes to stimulation. So they just need to be able to know what the sweet spot is, that perfect stretch. Constantly, just pushing, gently, pushing, pushing, trying to stretch, push, anyway. So she makes the remark that yes, you want to improve on your capacity over time, but you just don't want to push so hard and fast that you snap. Curiosity is a great way to gently push those boundaries because again, you're not attached to an outcome. And so if you're curious about something, it's sort of like, okay, well, I I don't seem to do really well in big, loud crowds, but someday I would love to, I don't know, do a TED talk maybe, or I would love to be able to get on a roller coaster, or maybe I love roller coasters. This is totally me. I love roller coasters, but man, when theme parks are super crowded, it's intense. It's a lot of human interaction for a day. And it's like, okay, well, I want to build up so that that just doesn't bother me quite as much. Maybe I start with something that's smaller. Maybe I go to Academy of Sciences or something and I go on a day that I know isn't as busy. And then gradually I move into the realm of, okay, well, what if I try this thing that has a little bit, you know, even more people. And I just, I build up my capacity with curiosity and with compassion try doing this next thing. How did that go? Ugh, not so well. Well, pull back. Give yourself some time to rest. That was a very successful experiment. Nothing went wrong. You just found that that wasn't, that, that was too soon, too fast. Now just rest and go back out there. So anyway, um, so now that I've talked a little bit about curiosity and the benefits and it's so great for growth and it's so great for uh, relationships and potentially your health practices, now what? (laughs) Um, How do I get me some curiosity? So I put some tools in the healthy sensitive community that I think you'll appreciate. These tools, just to be clear, um, I did not design them. I'm sharing some of the tools that I picked up from the conference that I attended. So if you go to my website, www.thehealthysensitive.com, and you click on join the community, I'm adding this tool. Uh, It's a curiosity and exploration inventory, and it allows you to get a sense of what your like the, what your realm of curiosity is right now. And then things, I'll give some tips and tricks on how to play with that in order to either expand it or capitalize on it. And yeah, so I highly recommend going to see if you're curious, ah, yeah, like I threw that in there. If you're curious, come and see my curiosity inventory. I'm a funny girl. Anyway, so that's all I've got for today. Um, I am some just kind of fun news. Um, I'm deep into writing my book, so I'm very excited about that. Um, I'll be releasing the title in the healthy sensitive community and, um, yeah, I'm sort of plugging away at it. I've always wanted to write a book and I, the only problem was I didn't know what I wanted to write about. And this was years of like, I don't know, I just want to write something. (laughs) It's a bucket list item. Um, but yeah, so now I know what I want to write about and it's about, um, highly sensitive people and that's all I'm going to tell you for now. I hope you have a fabulous week since it's the start of the week. That's part of why I like doing this on Monday. Nice, fresh start to the week. If ever you have questions about any of this stuff, I mean, again, there's you don't have to be my coaching client if you just have a question and you just or you just want to start a conversation. If you are interested in coaching, I, of course, would be delighted to talk to you. Um, I do complimentary coaching sessions and one on one. I can do them over the phone. Um, If you're in the neighborhood, I can do them in person. So all of that out there, all of that stuff is available to you. You can also see my courses. All that stuff is there. But again, if you just have a quick question and you just want to send me an email and you're just like, oh, I had this thought and I was just curious about your, huh? again, I was just curious. Um, You don't have to enroll in a coaching program or say yes to a course necessarily. You can just reach out and say, hey, I have a question and I'd like to talk to you about it and here's my email. Um, so if you go to my website, once again, www.thehealthysensitive.com, you'll notice there's a contact me section and you can just put in whatever your thoughts are. And I'm more than happy to reach back out to you and just chat. So there's that again, have a wonderful, wonderful week. And I will talk to you next Monday. Bye-bye.